So, yeah, so, um, my darling, do, have you got my notes? But darling, I asked you to bring them. Darling, I said, I came down the stairs, I said, please get my notes. You know what, you never ever listen. You don't listen. What is your problem? Oh, you know what, you need to go to that marriage Saturday. <laughs> Can I have my notes, please? <laughs> Yeah, you gathered. We're talking about anger. <laughs> okay, that doesn't happen to you, does it? Um, I have two brothers in the UK, and uh, we were over visiting there once, and uh, one of my brothers said, listen, there's a family where something has happened in, um, in their family. Please, could I see them? So I was seeing the mother and father. And what had happened is that there's a Christian family, loving family, um, and the, their son, 21-year-old son, had attempted suicide. Fortunately, he had failed in the attempt, but he was committed, and um, as happens in the UK, he was assigned to a psychologist. The psychologist said to him, you need some, to learn some anger management. And so I was talking to the parents, and they said they were, they were dumbfounded by this. They said, he never gets angry. He never gets angry. What do you mean he needs anger management? And so we, we began to talk, and I asked them about their family, and it turned out the mother had come from a family where the father was abusively angry. He would explode at the drop of a hat. A little bit like me now. And... Um, she had determined in her heart that that was not going to happen in her home. And she had gone to the extent where she did not allow any expression of anger at all. And I tell that story because it illustrates the two extremes of anger. The one is where we just explode. And of course, it does a lot of harm. And we'll talk about that just now. But the other is extreme is when we suppress it. Don't allow any expression of anger at all. And that has huge consequences. Again, I want to talk about that now. So we have these two extremes. There we are. On the one hand, is passive. And passive doesn't mean not angry. That was the problem. Passive means angry, but not expressing it, just suppressing it. We are passive in our anger. And in the other extreme is where we explode in our anger. Both are equally destructive. If, not, if anything, I think the passive is maybe more destructive because we're so unaware of what's going on. And by the way, the passive kind of person, if you're on that end of the spectrum, usually marries an aggressive end of the spectrum. <laughs> not always, but uh, I think that can happen. So what then is the right way of managing anger? And I want to start by saying what I've said about all these negative emotions is that anger is not wrong in itself. Anger is neutral. It's what we do with anger that counts, that is right or wrong. 
But we grow up with this idea that it's wrong to be angry, wrong to be anxious, wrong to be depressed. And therefore, we don't allow ourselves the freedom to be able to acknowledge it and express it. But God is an emotional being. And I want to show you some scriptures. And he has created us in his image. And God is emotional and has all the negative emotions. You'll read them there in the scriptures. And likewise, we have those negative emotions. So let's look at some of those scriptures. Deuteronomy 9, verse 19. I fear the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. I think that's quite angry. Psalm 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge who expresses his wrath every day. And then... Uh, the anger of Jesus. Jesus asked them, uh, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. We know that experience where Jesus cleared the temple. I, I kind of get uncomfortable with what Jesus did then, but he was demonstrating something of the anger of God. Mark 9, verse 42, if anyone causes one of these, the least of these to believe, sorry, causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. I think those are angry words. Those are the words of Jesus. King David expresses his anger in the Psalms. Let me read some of them. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds longing among them. And again, Psalm 35. May those who seek my life be like chaff before the wind. May th their path be dark and slippery. May ruin overtake them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. And again, I think those are angry words from David towards his enemy. But here's the thing, folks. David had the opportunity to kill his enemy. It seemed like God had kind of given him into his hands. But twice, David did not. He had mercy on him. He said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. So here's the point. He was free to express his anger. He was free to express the fact that he felt angry to God. But he didn't allow that anger to dictate or to determine his behavior. And so today, I don't want to say, I'm not talking about eradicating anger. I'm talking about managing our anger, managing it in a constructive way. But what does that look like? What does constructive anger look like? Well, let's look at the anger of God. So firstly, uh, anger, God's anger is slow. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to be angry. Not only slow, but restrained. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger. So slow, restrained, brief. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. So his, his anger is slow, restrained, brief, and then it's a forgiving anger. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, Forgiving sin and rebellion in accordance with your great love. Forgive the sin of these people is the cry of the Israelites, just as you pardoned them from the time when they left Egypt. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. So the anger that we need to demonstrate is slow. It needs to be restrained. It needs to be brief. And it needs to be forgiving. 
was Aristotle who said, anyone can be angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that, that's not so easy. And so that's what we're going to talk about. How do we do that? How do we have the right kind of anger? And God's words to Cain are very instructive in this regard. Uh, we read in, in uh, Genesis, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And those of you who have been part of our teaching, we know that anger is that block gold, and so here was a block gold in Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And here's the key phrase. It desires to have you. But you must master it. You see, anger will either master us if, if we don't master it. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about mastering our anger, managing our anger. You all know what happened after that where Cain actually didn't master his anger and he ended up killing his brother. So we're talking about mastering our anger, managing it. And I want to look at a few scriptures, but one in particular. But first, the first scripture I want to look at is James 1, verse 19. Anyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So the first key, if you like, in managing our anger is to slow down, slow the process down. The, the word picture that I often use when talking about this is a ladder. I was looking for a picture which had a the, the kind of tall ladders, or slides rather, that we um, used to slide down. Um, I could only find the one here. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and here's the point. Anywhere on that ladder, you can decide you, you don't really want to go on this slide, and you can get down. You can slow your walk up. But once you're on the slide, it's too late. Does that make sense? And so while you're on the ladder, in that process from being zero into losing it or whatever we do with it, uh, we need to slow that process down. We need to be aware of what's happening inside of us. We need to slow the process down and be aware of the triggers and what's happening inside of us so that we can climb down the ladder and not go on the slide, not lose it if you like. So that's the first thing. But then the scripture, which I think is so helpful in this regard, in ter terms of talking about anger, is Ephesians 4, 26. In fact, Ephesians 4 is full of communication uh, uh, instructions to us. But 4, 26 and 26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And I'd like to look at each of those phrases in turn. In your anger do not sin. So what does that mean? What does it mean not to sin in your anger? And I think obviously that means that to, to not lose control, not to lose our temper, because obviously the, the, this is where anger gets its bad name, because when we lose control, we, yeah, exactly that, we start using foul language, start swearing. The worst is we start name calling. You, wah, 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 wah. That does so much damage. You know that phrase that says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's an absolute lie from the devil. You can break my bone, and I can get healed in six weeks, and the bone will be stronger than it was before. But a word said in anger 
can last a lifetime. It's so damaging. But not only that, when we lose it, we shout, like I was doing. We throw things and break things. I remember someone coming to see me where he had just completely lost it and he had gone around his house breaking his own furniture and breaking things around the house. It, it frightened him. That's what brought him in. He said, I, I frightened myself with my anger. And then, of course, uh, leading to violence when we start punching and hurting and hitting and doing whatever. So obviously, those things are destructive. We know that. This is what give, gives anger its bad name. So how do we prevent that? How do we stop from sinning in our anger? How do we keep control? Well, we say we, we count to ten. I think there's some wisdom in that. We, we withdraw, uh, breathe, take time out. And all of that is good. And I think we need to do that sometimes in order to keep control. So we withdraw, if you like. We slow everything down. Does that make sense? I think this is where the slow, be slow and your anger comes in. But what's the danger of doing that? What's the danger of counting to 10 or withdrawing? Well, the danger is this, is that we bury the, the anger. We, and with the anger, get, the issue gets buried. So we withdraw, but we never come back. We never deal with the issue itself. We, we, we walk away, but we don't ever come back and say, well, let's talk about it. And there are consequences, as I said earlier, to uh, suppressed anger. And here are some of them. Obviously, when we suppress anger, things build with inside of us. And they build until kaboom. Is that right? So we suppress and we suppress and we suppress and we suppress and then, it, you know, the, the volcano blows. And so we swing from that, that spectrum from being passive to, wow, to being aggressive. And, and that's not helpful. I remember reading a report um, of a man in Cumbria in, in the UK. He'd gone on a rampage. He'd, he'd killed a whole lot of people, shot them. And uh, the press interviewed some of his neighbors. And they said, you know, they were mystified. They said he was such a quiet man. He never said boo to a goose. Well, I don't know the man. But my guess is he was somebody who just suppressed and suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. And something happened that triggered, that was a light to the fuse. And he had just gone on this absolute rampage. And we read in, in 2 Samuel 13 of Absalom, King killing his brother Amnon. Remember, Amnon had, had raped their sister. But it took two years, two years, Absalom had been brooding on what Amnon had done. And after two years, he invited Amnon out with all the king's sons, and he, he killed his brother. So that's the first negative of suppressing anger. It doesn't go away. We say you bury the emotion alive doesn't go away. But the other thing that happens is that when we bury our anger, we engage in passive aggressive behavior. That's when we act out. We not, not speak out, but we act out. We behave in a way that is getting at that person without saying I'm angry. That's when I'm hurt and angry, or the wife is hurt and angry, or whoever's at home. And instead of saying, I'm angry with you for coming home late, we just let the supper burn to a frazzle. It's kind of saying, I'm angry, but it's not saying I'm angry. It's not a helpful way of dealing with it. We, 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 we put distance between ourselves. I'm, a, I'm a ashamed to tell you that early in our marriage, 
I used to engage in the silent treatment, and it used to drive Adie absolutely mad. Uh, but it was a way of punishing her, if you like. It was passive-aggressive behavior. It, instead of just saying, hey, let's talk about this, I, I would brew. Not very helpful at all. So when she said, what's wrong? Say, nothing! <laughs> Should jolly one know what's wrong? <laughs> but you don't do that, do you? <laughs> and then the other thing that happens when we suppress our anger is that that anger turns inwards very often and leads to depression. So that's what had happened to this young man. He had never been allowed to express his anger. It had turned inwards and become self-contempt and self-hatred. And he had got to the stage where he was just depressed to the extent that he was prepared to attempt suicide. That's why he needed anger management. He needed to learn to express his anger. And of course, if we suppress our anger and it's there buried, then it can turn to bitterness. And you know the, the, the results of bitterness. We say that when we, un we don't forgive someone, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't happen. You're the one that dies with bitterness. And then, of course, health problems, blood pressure, heart problems, tension, heartache, ulcers, all of that, headaches rather, all of those things are consequences of not allowing ourselves to acknowledge and express our anger. And then, again, what often happens is when we, we, we suppress our anger, we take it out on the people that are close to us. Is that right? So I'm angry with my boss at work and I come home and I shout at the wife or shout at somebody at home or shout at the kids. And they're not really the ones who made me angry. It's, it's what happened at work. But I haven't dealt with it. We have friends, and I, I won't, you won't know them anyway, but we have friends who he had a, an autoimmune, he has an autoimmune condition. It's degenerative, affects his spine, and it causes a huge amount of pain. And he would get crabby and discontented, and of his own confession, he would take it out on his wife. She said, I became the punching bag. Now, he wasn't cross with his, ang with his wife. He was, he was feeling the pain and angry about that, but he took it out on his wife. And we do that. It's so, such a negative way of dealing with our anger. So, if we bury our anger, then, of course, the issue concerned also gets buried, never gets dealt with. And on Tuesday, uh, at the teaching at the Hub, we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. So if you're interested, come and learn a ways of dealing with conflict in a constructive way. And so often we avoid conflict because it goes wrong. We don't deal with it constructively. And because we don't deal with it constructively, it, it turns out to be a nasty experience. And so we just try and avoid it. But it, much better, you're not going to get rid of conflict. It's always going to be there. And it, so it's dealing with it in a constructive way rather than just avoiding it at all. So we've talked about the two extremes of exploding on the one hand and being suppressed on the other hand. Neither is helpful. But the next phrase of this verse, this is why I love this verse so much, it's so practical. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What does that mean? Well, I think it's saying, deal with it. Deal with it as soon as you can. I don't think it's literally saying it's five to six, the sun's about to go down, let's talk about this. But it's saying deal with it as soon as you can. Yes, you may need to withdraw to get a control of your anger. You may need to take a step back, breathe deeply, get your thinking right, calm down. But do come back to deal with the issue. If necessary, make a time. 
could say something like, I'm too angry right now to deal with this right now, but can we meet three o'clock this afternoon or whatever, and so that we can talk it through. It says later on, the, lo the last phrase says, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's territory. Don't let those unresolved issues cause a rift between you, a breakdown in the relationship. Deal with it. Don't, let, don't give him that rope, if you like. So how can we deal with our anger and, uh, and those issues in a constructive way? And again, I've got a diagram which kind of shows those two extremes. Um, yeah, so on the passive and aggressive, but there's a verse again in Ephesians, which I think is the answer, and it's that verse that says, speak the truth in love. You see, the passive person needs to learn to speak. They need to speak up. So often we're afraid, and so we, we pull back, and we don't say what's really bugging us. But speak. Don't remain silent. So the passive person needs to move across to the middle. But the aggressive person who normally does the speaking at the drop of a hat, but may normally aggressively needs to learn to speak, carry on speaking, but to do it in love. So psychologists talk about being assertive. Well, I think this is a, def a Christian definition of being assertive. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Verse 29, again, of that chapter says, Do not let anything unwholesome come out of your mouths, but only which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. So do speak. Do speak, but do it in a loving way. Speaking the truth in love usually involves a critical conversation, a conversation where you're trying to resolve issues. But before you confront the person, before you talk about them, it's good to get that anger under control so that you don't sin in your anger. So to, to get to the place where you calm down. And if you're going to get to that stage where you calm down, one of the things that I think is so important that you learn to express your anger. Get it off your chest. And there's different ways of doing that. Finding ways of doing that. Um, you can talk to, to a friend, talk to a counselor, someone who is not going to tell you how to feel, just listens to you, accepts how you feel. Just get it off your chest. Journal. Writing can be very helpful. You just say what you feel and think. Make sure no one reads it, that's all. You can, you can write a letter, uh, sometimes to the person, but please don't send it. I remember a case where we, at, uh, at the counseling center, there was a, a problem with our borehole, and um, we got somebody to come in and fix it, and they did, or they thought they did, but it broke down again, and so they come and fix it, for, uh, fixed it again, and they build us a second time, and it made me so angry. I thought, well, how could they do that? You know, they didn't fix it the first time. Now they're billing us for the second time. I wrote them a letter, which I didn't send, but it kind of helped me get it off my chest so that I could then talk to them about the issue. Prayer. Prayer is a great way to express. God knows how you feel. Tell him how you feel. He knows anyway. You're not telling him anything he doesn't know. And then finally, it's a way, a technique sometimes we use. We talk about an empty chair where we put somebody in the chair and you, you, you imagine them in your mind what you would like to say to them. That's, I think, useful, particularly if, if um, you want to get it off your chest but also, if it's not safe to talk to that person, then maybe you can do that in your mind. 
But once you've expressed the anger, and here's the thing, folks, you need to let that anger go. There's two, balance, two, two extremes we've said where, on the one hand, we just suppress it, pretend it's not going to go, you know, it's, it's not there. Or the other hand is where we hold on to our anger. We, have, we feel we have a right to be angry. And there's a balance in the middle where we express it and then we let go. And that's forgiveness. Anger or forgiveness and anger go together. Forgiveness is letting go of the anger. It's not not being angry. Does that make sense? So sometimes we think, well, oh, I've got to forgive. We, go for we just bury it, bury it, bury it. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Well, actually, you've got to find a way of getting in touch with the anger and the pain that's been caused and finding a way of expressing it. But then you must let it go. You must forgive. Forgiveness is a whole other topic. And forgiveness doesn't mean you don't talk about the issue. Sometimes people say, forgive and forget. Well, that means you don't talk about it. No. Forgiveness is about the past. I'm going to forgive you. I have to. I'm obliged to as a Christian to forgive you. But I do want to talk about the future. I want to talk about how this is going to work in the future. I can do that when I've got my anger under control. So after you've expressed what you feel, you need to let it go. Give it to the Lord. He is just. And uh, you've calmed down, hopefully, maybe in a, in a position to be able to talk to them. So those are the practical things that that scripture gives. I think they're very workable. I think they work. They're just uh, such a, a practical scripture in terms of managing our anger. I want to talk now about looking at what that anger tells us about what's going on inside of us. We can learn things about ourselves if we uh, have a look at what's beneath the anger. We've said those negative emotions, all these negative emotions are like lights on the dashboard. They tell you something's going on. And so the, the, I want to give you some tools that will help you to understand what's beneath the anger. And the first thing is this, is that sometimes we get angry simply because we don't get our own way. There's a selfishness that comes in and says, you, you know, my way or the byway. And we get angry. And that's what James is talking about when he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. So you kill and you covet. You cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So some anger is just simply us demanding our own way. And if that's the case, we need to examine ourselves and say, am I angry just because I didn't get my way? And I need to acknowledge that and repent of it and apologize for being so selfish. That's the first thing. And then the second thing that we can learn about um, what's beneath the anger, as we've said all through this teaching that beneath these negative emotions is an unconscious goal, not a conscious goal, an unconscious goal that derives from a need that we have within ourselves. And we say that we get angry when that unconscious goal gets blocked for some reason. So, and often that unconscious goal stroke need is something that is not in my control. So I set myself up for anger. I want to illustrate this by talking about the traffic in Zimbabwe. I think that the traffic here in Stellenbosch is very well behaved and uh, compared to Zimbabwe anyway, Harare, 
is something else. You know, uh, I think people behave like the, the traffic lights are suggestions and uh, they don't have to obey the rules of the road and so uh, people will come from the left-hand lane because, but they want to talk, turn right and, and, uh, and when the traffic lights are not working, they don't know what Sarifaga does so well is behave like a four-way stop. You know, it's not, there's no such thing as everyone take their turn. Everyone just goes for it. And of course, it just causes this chamos, you know, just a, <laughs> a mess. And it makes me so angry. <laughs> and uh, there have been times I've been late to get somewhere and I try and do my thing about waiting and I go and then a truck rumbles in front of me. And there are now nobody's going anywhere. And I get so angry. And I tell them how angry I am <laughs> and wah, 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 what are you doing <laughs> and uh, of course it doesn't make any difference to them does it the truck driver just looks at me and says oh this Jai Morungu here what's he on, on about but it ruins my day does it make sense so I have a goal, obviously, to get through the traffic light, to get somewhere on time. But more, probably more than that, there's a need for safety. It's a legitimate need, isn't it? But this has blocked that goal. And I have got so angry. But you know what? If I make it my goal, and I persist on making it my goal, I'm just going to upset myself. I'm going to continue to be angry. And so we talk about changing these unconscious goals to desires and getting our legitimate needs met by the Lord. So here are some examples. To, we, we might get angry when our spouse doesn't love, love us like we think they should. And maybe they should. Just like those uh, people in the traffic should drive according to the rules. But the problem is I can't make them drive. I can't. And you can't make your spouse love you like you should be loved. Or maybe you have a goal that, that everything's in order. You know, I'm a little bit like that. I'm a, kind of a ducks in a row person and get very annoyed when my wife doesn't bring the notes. So I like to have control. That's what that does, isn't it? It gives me a sense of control, which, which is a myth. Control is a myth. But if I'm looking for security, because that's what it is, the unconscious goal there is to be secure, to be safe. But I'm looking to the world around me to give me that security. It's just not going to work. I'm going to set myself up for anger. And to have a perfectly behaved children. You know, and usually the need behind that is what will people think of me? Isn't that right? If my children don't behave, what will they think of me? I'm looking for people's affirmation. I want their, wow, what, you know, you've got fantastic kids. Oh, say something about me. And when they don't behave, I get angry. But the fact is, I can't control them. I might do when they're very small. I can make them do things. But as they grow and grow and grow, I get less and less and less control. And if I have made it my goal that they become perfectly behaved because that does something for me, I'm setting myself up for anger. Does that make sense? So I can change that to a desire. I can say, well, Lord, you know, I would love it if my children are better behaved. And I can do what I can. I will... Um, try and do, influence them to the best I can, uh, implement measures with boundaries and consequences and all those good parenting things that might influence them. But I must know that at the end of the day, I cannot control my children. 
I cannot make them do what they should do, even if it is what they should do, because otherwise I set myself up for anger. To never make a mistake is another thing. I, I need to be perfect. Maybe that's because what people think of me. Well, I can't control that. To insist, uh, to, to insist a, a friend or a family member behaves in a certain way, and a lot of us get angry because other people don't do what they should do. And it is true, they should do those things. So uh, in terms of um, addicts and alcoholics, for example, they talk about the rage of the family members of an addict. And you see what's happened there is they have taken responsibility. Those family members have said, you know, we're going to make sure you stop drinking. We're going to make sure that you get off those, that, that stuff. They've made it their goal to stop them. And they can't. It's not in their power. They can make it a desire. They can uh, put in uh, an intervention. They can try and influence it. But at the end of the day, that person has to decide whether they want to change or not. You cannot change them. And when we make it our business, that's what a goal is. I'm going to make it my business to get this thing done. We set ourselves up for anger. There's a need, usually. Behind that goal is a need. And folks, that's where we need to, to, to get to, where we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I have a need for safety, for example, in the traffic. I have a need to be loved. I have a need to be respected. That's a legitimate need. My problem is that I have been looking for it in, in the rules of the road or in, in my wife or in my children or whatever it is. I've been looking for a legitimate need that I cannot control. And so I change that goal into a desire, it would be nice, and I do what I can to influence it, but then I come to the Lord for that need and say, Lord, I need to know how loved I am by you. Nobody can take that away. And Lord, I need to know my value in your eyes, no matter how my children behave. Does that make sense? And so, as I've said for the, these other... Um, emotions is let this negative emotion be the very thing that drives us into the arms of our father where we say lord i i, I we, we do the work and say well okay what's the block goal what's the need where am i trying to get that need met let me change that to a desire but lord i still have the need i'm coming to you please show me how much i'm loved please show me how valuable i am in your eyes please show me what my significance is in your eyes if nobody else notices lord i want to know what you think of what you've called me to do does that make sense and so when you are experiencing anger it's not anger itself it's what you do with it learn to express it Learn ways of what works for you, whether it's journaling, journaling or speaking to somebody else or talking to the Lord. Learn to express it then let it go. But more than that, have a look inside. Say, is this selfishness? Am I just demanding my own way? And then more than that, and say, what's the block goal here? What's the need that I'm trying to get met? And maybe I should change that into a desire. Say, Lord, I, I would like this. I can pray for it. I can try and influence it. But I'm not going to make it my business. It's not up to me to make it happen. But I have a need. And, Lord, I'm coming to you for that. And I'm, I, I want to, to know that I'm, a, I'm secure in you. And, and I'm accepted by you. And I'm valued by you. And I have purpose because you've given me purpose. And I know those things in the depth of my heart. 
And then you see, once you've done that work, once you have um, be, started having your need met in the Lord and you've expressed it, you've received his love and his power and his faithfulness, you know something of your worth, you begin to be fulfilled in his purpose for your lives, then that anger is going to dissipate, isn't it? You're having those needs met. You're then in a position to be able to come back and say, well, hang on, let, you know, this is the person who caused the anger. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about this thing that uh, so aggravated me? I'll close by giving an example from my own life. Um, I, I find that I react in anger when I feel disrespected. And it's good to, to, to think about that, folks. When we have a sore spot, is to ask, what, what is that sore spot? What's the need here that I feel never gets met? So I, I react when I, when I feel disrespected. And, and my family background is that my father died when, when I was very young. I was five years old. He was struck by lightning, actually. And my mother was left with five of us um, to raise on her own. And she gave herself to us. And uh, so we still had a, a relatively stable upbringing. But inevitably, there were gaps. And I think one of those gaps was that I didn't have a father who would affirm me, who would um, help me know who I was and what my gifts were, etc. And I think my sensitivity to being disrespected, that sore spot, is when I am looking to other people to give me what I des so desperately need. But it's not in my control. I'm trying to make them. My children should respect me. My wife should respect me. And she's going to come to the marriage thing on Saturday and learn how to do that. <clears throat> but you see, I can't make it happen. Does that make sense? I can't make it happen. And I have to acknowledge that and say, yes, I would like my children to respect me. I'd like others to respect me. I'd like others to value uh, me as a person. But I can't make it happen. And I need to drop that. Make it a desire. But then I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, just show me what you say about me. Show me what you say about me. And it's so ironical that the one person who has every reason to condemn me he is the judge. He has every right to point out my shortcomings. But he is the one who, as the Apostle Paul says, at that time, he says, each will receive his praise from God. Isn't that amazing? That's in 1 Corinthians 4. It's such a liberating scripture, that. But you see, I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to receive your praise, your affirmation. That will meet my need, irrespective of how people treat me. I can let that go. Should we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and for the practical inst instruction that it gives us. I pray that you'd help us not only to understand it, but also, Lord, to be able to put it into practice. That we would use this 
God-given anger in constructive ways. That we would reflect the way that you manage your anger, Lord. That we would be slow to be angry. That we would be brief in our anger. That we would be restrained in our anger. And Lord, that we would be forgiving. We know that we can't do these things without you, Lord. Ask for your grace in the doing of them. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us when we're being selfish. And Lord, that you'd help us know what's underneath the anger. That we would relinquish those things and trust you for those needs. Help us, I pray. We ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.